The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Sportbox. These are your headlines. Shoppers flock online, helping Black Friday sales hit a record $7.4 billion in the second largest U.S. Internet shopping day ever, with uh, Adobe predicting an even bigger Cyber Monday. China's factory activity grows at its fastest pace in nearly three years in November, sending Asian stocks higher, while state media says Beijing wants all existing tariffs scrapped as part of a phase one trade deal. We've got a surprise in Berlin. The win of a new SPD left-wing leadership team puts Chancellor Angela Merkel's grand coalition on shaky ground. Plus, the UK election focused turning to terrorism. Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn clash over the Friday deadly event as they blame each other over the early release of the attacker. Plus, a weather warning. A winter storm wrecks havoc in parts of the US, closing roads and cancelling flights on one of the busiest travel days of the year after the Thanksgiving holiday. So welcome. We've all come down to the big wall here to take a look at some of the numbers related to the Friday retail sales data. The U.S. has apparently broken Black Friday sales records with a $7.4 billion spend online in 24 hours. Over 60% of revenue came via desktop with top selling products including Frozen 2 toys and football games according to Adobe Analytics. But bricks and mortar to retail sales fell by more than 6% as shoppers opted to buy from home, according to analytics firm ShopperTrack. You all got your Frozen 2 goodies? Hang on a second. Have I have qualifications here that you two can't... <laughs> actually, no, you have two. But I have yes. Frozen 2 qualifications. I have a terrible yes. admission to make. Go on. On my streaming music channel... Oh. Uh, which may or may not be Spotify or Deezer or one of the above, yeah. yeah. Um, I have been looking for stuff to listen to and I happen to just keep going back to the Frozen 2 soundtrack. <laughs> They're really good songs. Well, don't worry, I have the two dolls and one, if you move the Elsa hand, it sings the song and the other, on the yeah. other doll, you press the button and then the doll yeah, sings for you too. we do need to let it go a little bit. Yeah, we? let's Very let nice. it go and move Very on nice. to the numbers. Nice. Meanwhile, good. today's Cyber Monday event is expected to be the biggest US online shopping day ever with $9.4 billion in sales forecast by Adobe. U.S. consumers are expected to spend more than $140 billion online over the entire holiday period. So takeaway messages, a few key suspects. Amazon cleaning up yet again, the most spoken about site uh, when you talk about uh, social media. Also some of the other big players, Walmart and Target. So for investors, do you look much further than some of the, the usual players? Okay, let me do my Grinch or Scrooge or whatever. Mm. I don't care. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I looked at your reads forensically, ladies and gentlemen. You said record figures. You said sales. You said revenues. You did not say profit. Mm. You did not say margin. Actually, Rex is talking about that. You did not say any of the above. And that is the point. This is a compression of heavy sales promotional activity. It is not a 
period of compression and profits. That is the difference. I can sell a million Ford F-150s if I want mm. to, if I sell them for five bucks. I can do it tomorrow. Mm. I can sell a million of anything overnight. It's about profit. And I'm afraid to say the evidence that I'm seeing is twofold. One, the consumer net-net does not get a better deal on Black Friday compared with other promotional periods or other periods of the year. That is a fact. That is what Witch told us in the UK last week as well. And it's the same evidence we're seeing stateside as well. But the second point is as well is this is a small window which covers part of the entire holiday season. The holiday season runs from pretty much Thanksgiving through to early January when we see even more promotional activity. It is not a good snapshot on profits for these people. It is a good snapshot on sales. Well, I was ready to come up here and out Grinch you because I was going to start talking about how we're seeing in some of the high yield indices in the United States, a few worrying signs about yields ticking up as people get more concerned about the junk bond market and what the implications of that could be for market sentiment here. But quite frankly, I don't want to do that. We've had three months of consecutive gains for markets. There's been an awful lot of bad news swimming around in the markets, not least what's going on around this trade war story, which seems to be getting kicked into the long grass yet again. So let's take away some of the positives here. At least the consumer turned up on Friday and it looks like they're going to turn up again on Monday. And that's encouraging because the last thing that we need is the last shoe to drop, which would be consumer confidence at this point, because we could talk ourselves into a recession and a market slowdown. And let's just have a look at the China number this morning. Okay, it's only just above 50, but given where we've come from in terms of the PI series, PMI series and what's been going on in the manufacturing sector, I think we should take that as a positive at this point, given again how concerned right. the markets seem to be that we just don't have anything that looks like a trade deal signature anytime soon. I wonder whether we've got the new Costco story unfolding and you say, what's the new Costco story? Well, think back to the, the post- Costco story? <laughs> think Sorry, back to the late. financial crisis just oh. after we saw a lot of pain on Main Street. Some of the stores are did particularly well with big box discounters, the likes of Costco, where a lot of shoppers went along and they're looking for bargains. They had to buy stuff and they were looking for the ability to buy a huge amount of product on the cheap. I think what you've got now, if you look at the spending that happened on Black Friday, it's a Costco moment again. You've got a lot of shoppers looking for a bargain. They're not getting a lot of the main stores. And the best way to actually get it was actually to shop online on Friday. I mean, I tried this. I went out on Black Friday. I hit the stores early, tried to get a bargain. I didn't manage to buy one. You were at work on Friday. I, you know we finished early. I didn't okay. manage to buy one thing <laughs> discounted. The best offers were in my inbox on my email. So if I stayed at home and pressed the button on those deals, much better buy much better discounting. And I think that transpired to the United States. You saw a lot of moving towards the discounted items through online channels, omni-channel, another way of doing it. If you saw it online, then you might have gone in-store to buy. But I, I think that's what's playing out. It's another sign that there but is some stress in the shopper. tell you one other little secret? Mm. Guess what? If mm. we take from Thanksgiving to that early January figure I mentioned, the sales figures are going to be flat. No one's going to be buying more. And I can guarantee you that virtually when we look at the retail sales figures for November, December and January, they will be flattish year on year. So all of this, it's kind of immaterial because the whole period, you have to take the broader snapshot. I think we all agree on that. Nobody's going to be buying anything more than they did last year. That's a fact. 
Um, but I would say, though, there's an element of disintermediation about the whole process, right? That, that we have a lot of retailers who've taken their bricks and, mo bricks and mortar model and they've now begun to improve their online proposition. And some of that surely has to represent an improvement in margin if they've managed to shut bricks and mor mortar stores <laughs> and they've taken that business online. I'm not as negative about the whole retail story and I, I agree with Karen you know I've spent some time in some bricks and mortar stores that you could argue have not done very well in recent years but the discounting um, stickers are gone mm. they are selling at the price they are selling at and they are not discounting and I think it will be very interesting when we get the final breakdown of all these figures just to see how well the retailers have done to hold the line on the prices yes. because as you say we may only come out of this year with flat retail sales but that's better than it could have been when we were at this point 12 months ago when we were looking down the barrel of a market sell-off into the final quarter of the year, which appeared to suggest that we were going to head into the early stages of a re global recession in late 2019. Well, here we are in late 2019. It hasn't happened. Mm. And now we're starting to fixate on whether that comes right. in late 2020 <laughs> or early 2021. Karen. Come on, you Grinch. Cheer up. No. Why should I? Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you the next story. No, no, we've got to go. We've got to move on. I want to give it. you the next story. Oh, go on then. So go in the store. So they're participating in Black Friday for Which the first shop? time. Shop? Next. Oh, yeah, yeah. very big so retail in the UK. 70% off, they're participating. You go 70% in, seven, So what do you think instantly? Oh, those margins. It's going to be horrible yeah, for them. Yeah. They've been protecting it all yeah, year. Yeah. One rack. One little rack. <laughs> you can walk <laughs> around it. Yeah. And then by, the, by about 10.30 in the morning, there were a few items left on that oh. one rack. I too and went it, to and next. Should we worry about it, their margins? And it has the extra <laughs> small items or the XXXL items. All I'll say is I did see in next, they do have flashing Christmas oh. jumpers. Not that I've ever bought a Christmas jumper. Well, get out of the way, you guys. I'm going to carry on here as well. I'm going to carry on with a Grinch. Uh, for more, you can go now, by the way. Uh, for more on that record-breaking Black Friday haul and how US retailers are preparing for a make-or-break holiday season, head to CNBC.com. Right, they've gone now. I can carry on with my Grinch-like behaviour. Uh, overnight markets, I'm not going to be Grinch-like, actually, because the US markets, they gave up a tiny bit of ground on the last uh, trading session of November. Uh, they gave up you know, between 0.5 and 0.46 of 1%. But I have to hasten to add, have a look at where these markets have come this year. If you have been long the market and if you've been long growth stocks, you have done incredibly well. In fact, you can almost own anything this year and you would have turned in a double digit performance. Technology has without doubt been the stellar performer, still over 40% up. So Far this year. And the week to date performance, the month to date performance of these major indices is still very impressive. We're talking about US indices that have gained well over 3% uh, in the month to date of November. It's been one of the best months of the year. Now, Jeff mentioned the Asian uh, data out of China and very strong figures. There's Shanghai Composite really not responding that much. 3.5 points higher. A little bit better performance on the Shenzhen as well. Uh, Hang Seng over in Hong Kong up four tenths of 1%. We have got a lot of manufacturing data today. Uh, markets got data out. We've got manufacturing PMIs. We've got construction figures. But just a little flag for your diary. If you're looking to work out when you can kind of wind down your positions, if you're a day trader or even sell side, I know some of you guys have client flow positions ahead of those client flows, don't you? Even though you don't have prop books. 
works anymore. Uh, anyway, the point is you've got payrolls on Friday. That's the key. And then the UK general election next Thursday. And once those two events out of the way, maybe, maybe you can take your positions off and chill out a little bit. Who knows? And have a nice, relaxing Christmas. OK, uh, opening calls for European markets. Uh, we are higher across the board. FTSE MIB seen up 71 points, despite political consternation in Germany. 29 points. There you go. It wasn't Grinch-like once you two had gone. Good. That's <laughs> oh, good to see you cheered up. Um, let's, have a look at the, um, let's have a look at the China data then. Manufacturing sector data on the PMI survey grew at the fastest pace in almost three years in November. The private Kaishin survey unexpectedly rose to 51.8 thanks to higher output and new orders. Uh, China has pressed the Trump administration to remove existing tariffs on Chinese goods. State tabloid, the Global Times, reports the rollback of levies is a, quote, top priority for a phase one trade deal. Well, let's get out to Eunice in Beijing with more on the story. And interesting that we've seen this bounce in Asian markets here, Eunice, as China appears to be insisting now for this rollback of tariffs. But we don't really hear much agreement from the U.S. on this at this point. (laughs) No, we don't. So that's the big if as to whether or not this trade deal is going to happen. Uh, however, the trade, um, the, the, the manufacturing data uh, could also uh, bolster uh, the Chinese negotiators' belief that maybe they should just continue to wait uh, for better terms to a deal. So the uh, private survey data, the Caixin data, came in at 51.8. And this was um, after the official numbers also showed an upward trend. So we're seeing some strength there because of what Jeff had talked about, a recovery in, in new orders and production. And even the non-manufacturing PMI, the official one over the weekend, looked pretty good. It went from an eight-month low to an eight-month high. So there are a lot of economists now who believe that the outlook is still a little bit precarious. However, they're hopeful that if there is some uh, trade deal reached by uh, December 15th, which is uh, the day when the next round of tariffs kick in, that uh, perhaps some of that uncertainty could be lifted. Now, uh, the state media is not showing any signs of wavering when it comes to um, what China thinks is important, and that is a removal of the tariffs. Uh, The the Communist Party Global Times was quoting a former uh, vice commerce minister as saying that removing those tariffs is a must. Um, This um, minister had said that, that it doesn't really matter whether or not it's in phases or if it's all at once, but this is something that is very important for a phase one trade deal to actually happen. Now, separate to that, last week, we had heard from a U.S. senator, Chuck Grassley, who said that uh, from the U.S.'s side, they've been invited, the top negotiators, uh, Mnuchin and and, um, Lighthizer, have been invited to Beijing for a face-to-face discussion on the trade issue. However, they're still a little bit reluctant to come unless they feel that they have a final agreement in place. So still a lot of question marks, um, but maybe one potentially positive um, um, comment from that uh, Global Times report, guys, and that is that the Global Times had said that maybe we'd be able to have a phase one uh, trade agreement by January before the Lunar New Year holiday if everything comes into place. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed for that. And we will uh, hopefully see you a little bit later on the show. Right. Hong Kong police used tear gas to break up pro-democracy protests in a busy shopping district during fresh demonstrations following a brief lull in violence. The city-state 
had seen a respite from clashes amid local elections, which saw anti-government candidates make large gains. Protesters initially gathered at the U.S. Embassy to thank Washington for its recent support. Some demonstrators held up signs urging President Trump to liberate Hong Kong. We'll have a quick look at Yuan, actually, and where it's currently trading on and offshore. Very similar, in fact, virtually to the decimal. Uh, 7.03 is where the dollar yuan pair trading barely moved. Right. Well, let's get some views on where these currencies are moving. Uh, ING says the yuan could recover if trade tensions don't get worse, but expects the currency will continue to depend. Yep, on US-China trade talks in 2020. Chris Turner, head of FX Strategy ING, joins us now. Good morning, Chris. Hi, good morning. Look, um, I mean, you're looking for diamonds in the rough. You're screening all kinds of other stuff as well. But your third big bullet on your executive summary is about the dollar. And I guess it's all about the trade talks at the start of the year or at the end of this year as well. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, uh, that sets a global environment. I mean, you were mentioning, Steve, just earlier about how asset classes, you know, across the world have performed so really well this year. Yeah. And... Uh, Normally, you would associate that, particularly with emerging markets, with a weaker dollar. But that hasn't necessarily been the case. The DXY has actually been pretty firm all year and actually up about 2% on the year. Which gets me really confused. I, I, I almost half interrupt you, so apologies. Is the dollar um, a... How, is it a safe haven or is it a risk on trade? Like, depending on who you speak to and depending on what day it is, you can, you can <laughs> make a very good argument for both. So in your yeah. view... I think it's changing. I think it's definitely changing. And uh, I think our big story in our sort of FX outlet is the changing nature of the euro. And I'll come back to the dollar yeah. shortly. But I think the euro is actually becoming a funding currency. You're seeing those characteristics emerging in the FX options market. So you don't necessarily have to see euro dollar moving higher for emerging markets to do well. That has been the normal kind of setup you would expect, particularly in Eastern Europe, emerging markets to do well. But um, I think this time around, you can see markets do well with the euro staying quite soft. So if you purely look to the dollar and the dollar staying strong, that does not mean that asset markets can perform well, which we've seen this it's year. Just an answer to my part about the dollar. Do you see it as a safe haven or is it a risk on you buy the dollar when things are going up or do you sell the dollar when things are going up uh, because the risk's off the table? Yeah, I think that's changed. So I think the dollar can stay strong and okay. asset markets can perform well. OK, brilliant. I'm shocked by your uh, calls around some of the commodity currencies. It's not what I expected to uh, see a call for Norway, Canada and New Zealand uh, in 2020. Just spell out why you think that it could be a good year for them. Yeah, I think if you look through, look ahead into 2020 and you look at who knows what's going to happen with kind of trade, it's kind of really hard. And obviously industrial production has slowed manufacturing sectors kind of in recession. But what is the trade going forward? Those currencies are already trading like we're in secular stagnation. So what is like the call for 2020? Trade volumes have got progressively worse over the last kind of two years. But we think at ING actually trade perhaps is rumbling along the bottom. Trade volumes can marginally pick up. And as people put money to work in 2020, you're going to pick out something which is undervalued, which is the commodity currencies, and something with yield as well. We've seen those currencies offering just a little bit of yield in this sort of low-yield world. Some of them shouldn't be, though. I mean, if you look at the the New Zealand dollar, it's been a woeful year. Date has been incredibly weak. You've had question marks as to whether the Australian dollar might be a better trade than the Kiwi at this point, and which central banks should be cutting first again. So so why is there even any yield at this point in the New Zealand trade? Yeah, well, um, Rob Carnell, our uh, economist over there, we uh, think uh, New Zealand economy is going to outperform the Australian economy. I think our core story uh, is that the New Zealand kind of dollar is uh, cheap 
And actually, growth rates are not too bad into um, 2020. There will be a risk with Australia with potentially whether the RBA will look at QE, but we think they've probably got to cut rates 50 basis points from here. They've got a meeting this week. We don't think they're going to cut before they will entertain kind of QE. So we're not there yet in Australia. All right, Chris, thank you for okay, that. Thank you. You're going to stay with us, so we'll thank pick up the conversation in just a moment. Chris Turner, head of FX Strategy at ING. Coming up on the programme, find out why the future of Germany's ruling coalition hangs in the balance this morning. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. And if you can't get enough of Sportbox, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Hit the CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from to have a listen and download today's episode. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. The future of Germany's ruling coalition hangs in the balance after the Social Democrats elected two critics of the Grand Coalition as the party's new leaders. Norbert Walter-Borjans and Saskia Esken campaigned with the promise of renegotiating the coalition deal or pulling the party out of government altogether. The newly elected SPD leaders said they would put the good of the party before that of the Grand Coalition. Uns ist sehr bewusst... We are very aware that this is not a question of victory or defeat, but that it is a question of keeping this great social democratic party together and bringing it together again where it has already moved a part of it. I think this is not only something that is great fun, but also a great challenge. We want to reach out to all. We want to reach both our hands out to all. Those who decided otherwise and supported the other team, even in the pre-election campaign. We know it. You all know it. Now we have to stand together. Only together can we manage to make the SPD strong again, to stand credibly for a just future. Well, Annette joins us on the line from Frankfurt. Annette, I told you before and I'll tell you again, I do not get what's going on at the top of German politics. I think it is bonkers that Frau Merkel is on this long goodbye where we have a vacuum, not only at the top in Germany, but across Europe. I know you begged to differ at the time when we talked about this as well, but this is another blow to Frau Merkel, isn't it? Yes, it is indeed. Uh, it's another blow to, to the Grand Coalition. And I completely agree with you here, Steve. It would have been better not to have Angela Merkel for another term. But I mean, it's very often with politicians, they just stay one term too long. And there's an ongoing discussion here in Germany as well whether one should not restrict um, the tenure of uh, chancellors to two terms, for example. But having said that, let's discuss what happened to the SPD and what also what that means for the Grand Coalition, the so-called ROCO here in Germany. Um, well, the two new SPD leaders, there were outspoken critics, but they are now kind of backpedaling as well because clearly they need to find a consensus inside the party. There will be a SPD party convention, a convention coming weekend, and most likely they will ask the delegates whether they should stay in the Grand Coalition or not. I think that will be a pivotal weekend for the SPD and for Berlin as such, for Angela Merkel's government. 
it's not only those two SPD leaders. What is, uh, I think, more important is that the young social democrats it's the party, it's like a group inside the party with Kevin Kunard, a name which we probably will remember, um, in, got its way with their candidates. And he is symbolizing a new social democratic uh, sort of party more to the left of things. So they will call for more spending and infrastructure, for a higher minimum wage, for an abandoning of the uh, zero um, deficit rule. So the black zero, which we were talking about quite frequently, um, and that will be a no-go for the CDU. So it will be a very interesting pre-Christmas time here in uh, German politics. Excellent. Annetta, thank you for that. Uh, we'll say goodbye to you for now. We'll see you in the next hour. Um, let's just pick up euro dollar then. Let's have a quick look at uh, how we're seeing the trade here. 1.1017 or thereabouts. And Chris, let's just return to that. Um, the other story that we didn't really mention there was also a shift in the leadership of the AFD, which is a, sort of a, at the other end of the political extreme in Germany. Um, the questions as to whether that will reinvigorate the party's support. What impact, if anything, from these political movements now around Chancellor Merkel? Yeah, I think the market's looking for the big story uh, in the global economy and, and Germany is German fiscal stimulus. And uh, how do we kind of get to that point? Um, obviously, the charts are null and everyone's sort of well aware that they're very uh, reticent to kind of use that fiscal stimulus. So I suppose we would look at any changes in the sort of coalition government, whether fiscal stimulus would be ready, more yeah. likely. Seems sort of far too early for that, really, at the moment. And in fact, we would think that things would have to get worse before they get better. So unemployment would have to rise in Germany before they'd uh, introduce fiscal stimulus there. Um, well, they're, they're now going to be fixated on the politics for the first half of uh, 2020, aren't they? When, when do you think we'll see an election in Germany? Well, it's scheduled for like 2021, and I think uh, we're well, not making... The coalition's make... not going to last until 2021, is it, yeah, on this basis? Yeah, I we're there yet. I just read a piece from Carsten this morning, a German economist over there, and uh, I think, obviously, I think... So this was a member vote at the weekend, and it goes, I think, to probably will be kind of ratified, I think, next weekend, where they do things kind of uh, thoroughly. But uh, I think it's too early to call, though, German uh, elections in 2020. We're sticking to, like, 2021. But it doesn't help, though... You know, we need some uh, leadership. We probably need some like fiscal stimulus to really pick uh, the eurozone economy up. We're looking at ING. We're looking at eurozone growth just at 0.7 next year versus 1.1 this year. So it's looking like a, another year of, sort of pretty weak growth in Europe unless we see that stimulus coming through. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.